Alright, and welcome inside to another edition of Keep It Real with Alexander Garrett and my buddy, as always, is on the other line with me, Mr. Michael Myers. How are you, Michael? Oh, wait a minute. I got, I got some stuff I need to get taken care of here before we start. Okay, wait, hold it. It'll be in a, just another five, ten minutes. Wait, I'm getting this lined up. Uh, oh, hold on, hold on. Let me, I'm going live here. Hold on. Let me see what I got. Okay, we got Alex in the morning. There we go. All right, let me post this to Facebook. Let me get everything ready here. Hold on. Let's post that to Facebook. All right. There we go. We got that. I think we're... Okay. Wait a minute. Okay. Yeah. I think we're... Oh, are we on the air? We are on the air. How are you doing, what? good sir? What the heck? How, how's everything going today, okay? It was, Alex. Oh. It's going fine. That's good. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. And um, yeah. I'm doing okay. You know, I've, I've actually wanted to show people and show you something yeah. very, very cool. Uh, yeah. Which is, uh, and by the way, the audio on the live stream is not working, so you'll have to hear it through the Spreaker podcast. You're the baseball fan of the This band, is Aaron Boone talking I about I don't watch anything. Listen to this. In the afternoon or evening, but baseball the Yankees. Mm. So just when I saw that video, Michael, I got a little choked up because, you know, my dad's in his, well, he's a little older and, you know, we all miss baseball, but I, I kind of flash back to going to games with him. That's why I clicked with him. Oh. So I just yeah, thought, I, you know, why not play it? But anyway, <clears throat> I noticed yeah. you changed your backdrop. What's up with that today? Well, before we go there, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on with my show today. Tell me. Uh, okay, it's no big deal. My uh, my my second eldest brother Dale died a year ago. You know, there's things in my life that are important. You know what? I'm so sick. Of... Hi. No, did he really die a year ago today? I need to go back on my meds. I think <laughs> he really did. And I'm up here, and, and it'll be a yeah. It's gonna be kind of a cool show. It has good good memories. He was a trickster, also. That's um. Oh, cameras up there. Well, are you gonna? I know you tried to call mom before. Are you gonna do that again, or? Um, yeah, yeah, I will because I was over there talking to her yesterday, and uh, don't know if I should have remind. Yeah, I should have reminded her that today would be the one year anniversary since uh, Brother Dale mm -hmm. went home to be with Jesus, and he doesn't have to trespass anymore to go fishing. Uh. He's got permission everywhere he goes to go fishing. You he ever wonder that? Like when they're up there, like they just keep doing what they were doing here, but free of any strings? I always feel like that's the case. I think it's it's beyond imaginable. So for me to think it's the ultimate is... Oh, what, what's the ultimate in life? Mm. I mean, have we really even begun to experience the ultimate? There's times where... Yeah, you know, I get a little giddy. I get to still be alive. I got a great wife. Had a young man yesterday stop over with his new girlfriend. They're on day now 12 of 
No drugs. He's excited. We went over and saw my mommy. Oh. Uh, it was a, it was really a pretty neat get together. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I bet. I mean, I, I can't. Good. Yeah, I don't know. So I just I think it's emotional when you see your parents in this time and and place. You know, it's like it's good that they're still there to see during what was most everything going on. Yeah, and there was uh, well, and you. Had, we talked a little bit yesterday about sometimes how we think, you know, maybe we don't realize how bad or how good we have it until we realize how bad somebody else might have it. Exactly. Um, we don't keep things in perspective. I have a friend who has actually been featured because she's a prominent funeral director here in New York, and she's been doing a lot of different things for different families, and we all pray for her because imagine having to help those families through loss like that that is that's unimaginable unimaginable yeah that would be because we're still that would be very tough we're still technically the epicenter so it's it's tough anyway i'm glad that you're going to honor him do you have any audio video clips of him that you're going to play well audio clips that you're going to play of him or? no you you see because of our new relationship i don't get to do anything anymore except get on here in the morning wait for you to say, hey, Mike, are you up? Oh, I'm not awake yet, Mike. Maybe we won't do video. Oh, you're like a little brother to me. Gotta be patient with him. That's everybody's feeling about me, so join the... Oh, is it really? <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Yeah, but that's kind of cool. Yeah, and you know, I don't mind. I mean, I should prepare beforehand, but I'm not a 7 what, were your Were your ears itching yesterday? Well, I was trying to tune in a little bit, but I had other stuff I had to get to. What were you were you bad mouthing me in the morning? No, actually not. Actually, I was uh, talking you up. Uh, well, all I heard, I read in the comments was he's a hoot, and I'm like, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, a hoot's a good thing. A hoot's a good thing. What's not? What 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 words should I learn learn from you that you are dissing me when you say something? It's just Alex. <laughs> That's a general. You can use that with anybody. That's it's true. just Oh, by the way, I don't think I told you this, uh, but I did, uh, my, my brother-in-law, who was here two weeks ago or whatever, uh, he tested positive for COVID. Uh, oh, so I've been, I've been exposed. So you have been exposed. Now, when are you getting your test? Speaking of exposed. When is that? Oh, I get it. It's the whole green screen thing. That's hilarious. <laughs> I I did that just to test the green screen. I'm really having fun with with uh, Zoom, but to focus, um, what was it that you and my got to focus too? What was what did you ask? Uh, Before I messed up about the, I guess. Oh yeah, about the audio cuts. If you're gonna do that for your brother, like if you have any audio from him. No, but that's a great idea. Uh, COVID. I mentioned that uh, my... Uh, Your brother-in-law has it. And yep. I, I'm saying you should go test, test now, I mean, before you get symptoms or something. Now, now this is interesting because I, I should... Now, this is being recorded, and I'm actually simulcasting. So you just suggested that I go get tested. Ooh. Mm -hmm. You just suggested that I get tested for COVID. 
COVID. But I'm not showing any symptoms, so I'm not supposed to get tested. So I'll tell you what, Dr. Alex. Yes. Oh. But Mike, I isn't there like get, a law? I, in- I could not get tested if I wanted to. I don't have any symptoms. I'm asymptomatic, which is why this is so bizarre that everybody, you could be carrying it yourself. You don't know. That is true. But my question is, though, I thought if you were exposed, you would be automatically able to test. No. How many people have been exposed and don't even know that they've been exposed? How many people have COVID-19 that Um, we don't know about, that you've been around? I'm going to say between, what is it? Lots. Millions of people probably have it and don't realize they have. So here's the bottom line. I don't know if you're into. I don't know if you're aware that there may very well be a push that everybody get the shot. Right. No, that's true. Okay. So, are, are, is the government going to make it mandatory that everybody gets the shot? Uh, unfortunately, I think we're going to end up doing that. I hate to say it, but I just. Well, I will not get the shot. Now what? You see, I see why Ed does what he does. I mean, Ed's on to something. There was a video that somebody shared with me. I wonder if I can pull that up and paste it in somewhere. Mm. Um, and I actually had my wife watch it yesterday. And I'm not, boy, I hope I didn't just know him. We're still good, right? I'm still there? Yeah, we're still here. Can you see me, okay. hear me? Well, I can't because I went elsewhere because I wanted to find this. Oh, you can uh, do that. That's the cool thing about Zoom is like we can still be talking and be on other... Uh, things on other websites and all that. My ex-wife sent me a link. Let's see, I don't even know if I can find it. Oh, never mind. Oh, wait, there it is, there it is, there it is. Uh, Wait for it, wait for it. Um, And this is... Uh Oh, nope, it's still up. Uh, It's called Dear Gatekeepers of Something or Other. Okay. Mickey Willis. Um, anyway, I'll send it to you. Cool. Here, how about if I just forward it, Michael? Oh. This, and I actually had my lovely wife sit down and watch this last night. And it was eye-opening. I mean, and, mm. and again, is this all... Uh, what do they call that? Uh, conspiracy theory stuff? I don't know, but it's worthwhile watching. Definitely. Because I think kind of being, I think we're being maybe a bit duped. What do you think? I never wanted to say that about this, but I agree with you. I think we're being a bit, a tad, a tad, tad duped, to be very now, honest. Now, you just said, I never want to say anything like that about this, but this is... We're afraid to say anything. It's like, oh my gosh, if I say something, somebody's going to think I'm a wacko. Isn't that sad? And even people questioning the numbers now are being called wacko. So. Well, it's it's all about uh, 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 newspeak. It's mm-hmm. like, if I say, have you heard the term newspeak? Yeah, I have. And I, yes, I have heard that. Well, it's kind of sort of new. It, anyway, I'm just, <laughs> uh to mask or not to mask. Right. Oh, good. Okay. So we can actually spend the last couple of minutes here on the stream, and uh, I'll let my Facebook people hear what you got on the show today. Here we go. Okay. 
and I will get this better prepared tomorrow. Yeah, because we really need to, uh, uh, you know, I get up early in the morning for some, uh, what you call show prep, a little time with my buddy, John Knight, and this has kind of grown into a monster! Alright, well, for those... It's fun. For those watching just now on uh, Keeping oh. with Alex here on Facebook, we are live. Hello, Michael. Hi. How's it going? Mike Myers, Radio Hope. You can catch the rest of this conversation <coughs> on my podcast page. But, Mike, I just wanted to bring you on here for a couple minutes to preview what you got going on at eight at 9 a.m. Eastern. Well, today will be a special show, a memorial show, for my, uh, my brother, Dale Duran Myers, who passed away a year ago today, and I will be having my mom on for a short time, and uh, uh, got some songs pulled up here, uh, Blackwater, Neil Young's Harvest Moon, and it, it'll be a, it'll be a, you know, it might not mean as much to other people, but it will to me and my mom, so uh, anybody else that might, actually, no, when I was doing this show, I was going through all this stuff, and, and listeners become part of your family. They do, yes. And it's really pretty cool. So that's what the show's going to be about. Michael, about I've got Brother one Dale. thing. Do you ever cry on the air when you deal with family issues like oh, yeah. this? You do. Yeah, there's times where I just have to play a song, and sometimes I don't even come back. I just, mm-hmm. it's a short show, and yeah, I get a little worked up. Good. That means you care a lot about the topic. So that, that's, that's why I don't do video. Well, I'm glad you're doing it with me. So thanks, Mike, for joining me this morning. And uh, guess what, everybody? I wanted to show you uh, something I wasn't able to earlier in the hour uh, with the air. You know, the Yankees have had an incredible. Um, Alex, I'm here. Michael. Yeah, should I leave? Uh, well, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? No, I guess I'm done. <laughs> All right. Well, I love okay. you, Michael, and we will see you, you too tomorrow. All Be right. Well. So, Michael goes, Radio Hope at 9 a.m. Eastern, and um, before I get to my next big interview, I wanted to play to you something I had seen on, uh, actually, TikTok, interestingly enough. It was Aaron Boone talking to this incredible couple about the Yankees. I mean, uh, hopefully it loads up soon enough here. We'll have to see. As uh, internet should be here, but we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there for sure. I've got Mr. David Allen Arnold coming up next to uh, to talk with me and uh, figure out you know, with me, what we should do during the lockdown and what you can expect and, and his thoughts behind the Deadliest Catch project. Yes, the Deadliest Catch project. Okay, come on, work for me. Which you will see. And you know what? Let's, let's get to that first because this TikTok page is an opening for me. So let's get to the David Allen Arnold uh, first because we had a very good conversation and uh, it went <laughs> a total of 45 minutes. Wow. So we'll uh, we'll play most of it up until 9 a.m. and then we'll uh, 
Maybe play the rest of it later today. Let's uh, let, let's think about that. Hold on a second, as we are pulling up the zoom here with David. Okay, looks like we got something here, and. Uh, Recorded last night, so don't be alarmed. The imagery is a little different, and the lighting's a bit different. But let's take it away. Well, you know, I, I love bringing back folks that have been making an impact in the world and been really successful at it, and friends. I've made friends with a lot of these people I've had on. And David Allen Arlob is no exception. He is an Emmy-winning cinematographer. David, welcome. Thank you, Alexander. It's great to be with you again. And uh, yes, you are an Emmy-winning you know, cinematographer, and you're part of the Deadliest Catch Project. I know it's episode four tonight. And while you can't tell us that, right off the bat, tell us what that experience was like this time around, recording all those well, visuals. Well, it was, uh, as always, uh, the Deadliest Catch is a life and death adventure. And um, the elements on Deadliest Catch are really dangerous. Uh, the water uh, in the Bering Sea is so cold that if you fall into it, uh, most people are dead within a minute. Mm. And um, in fact, season one of Deadliest Catch, someone fell out of one of the boats. And it was best case scenario because they saw him go. Sometimes guys fall out and no one knows. And then they suddenly realized later that one of them is missing and that's it. They, there's no way they could even find, you know, where they went, but it was best case scenario. So they saw this man fall out of the boat. So in that event, one guy runs to the rail, the side of the boat and just does nothing but watch where he goes as they try to turn the boat around on wow. the storm waves to get back to where he is, keep track of him and pick him up. So that was best case scenario. They saw him go. They watched him as the boat turned around, but by the time the boat got back to him, he was already dead. Hypothermia. Oh, oh so my that's, goodness. That's how cold the water is. That's how dangerous it is up there. Well, and so how do people protect themselves from falling over? Like what, what kind of preventions do they take? And what, what preventions and measures do you guys have to take as the videographers? Well, um, for us, um, a few years ago, I fly in the helicopter that hovers next to the boats while they're fishing. And uh, we took everyone who rides in the helicopter to a Coast Guard school where we practice uh, getting out of an upside down uh, sunken helicopter in the mm. ocean. And so we trained that way in a, in a Coast Guard training facility in their swimming pool with one of their divers. And um, we wear... Uh, Switlick uh, life vests that are equipped with uh, air bottles. So if the aircraft goes in the water, we have a oxygen supply we can use to try and get to the surface. Beautiful. Um, and uh, I wear an insulated uh, helicopter flight suit wow. uh, to, if I do get in the water, to hopefully keep me warm enough to survive. David, talking about David Allen Arnold. Um, you know what's amazing about you is you're you are behind the scenes, but you're very much on the scene on Twitter and Facebook and social media. So do you find that people are, you know, gravitating toward how your project, how your story is coming along, maybe more so than the stars of the show itself? Like, do you find more questions directed about cin cinematography than anything else? 
about that show? Well, what I find is that people love that anyone uh, from a filming crew would take time to talk to them about how the show gets made or to show them behind the scenes. So uh, if you go to my Instagram or my Twitter, you'll see videos from inside Discovery Bird uh, in the cockpit as we're flying around the crab boats uh, and filming for the show. And generally, people on social media never have access to that kind of stuff. And in the case of Deadliest Catch, Deadliest Catch only comes on once a year on Discovery Channel. The rest of the year is spent filming and editing the show. So in between seasons, people don't have anything to really watch. And so I find that thousands and thousands of people just get so excited that anyone would share a glimpse of what's coming on the next season or what went into filming the new season and uh, and to talk to them because when you watch the show on discovery channel you can't ask questions you can't you know the right. fishermen can't can't talk back to you as as like you said well how how is the conditions you know and and on twitter instagram facebook uh tiktok you can get answers to those questions Pe- people just light up when anyone takes the time to do that for them absolutely i'm going to try and pull up your uh your thing to show on the screen here um, what 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 you are referring to, because you are David Allen Arnold on airborne camera. If you can't see that, sorry about that. But yeah, that's his Instagram with the helicopter up in the air. And um, David, that's not how we met, though. Tell us, for those who are new to this, you know, podcast over the last couple of weeks, tell us why and how we first met and how that story is coming along as well. Well, um, I have written a series of books. And so uh, I use a company uh, in uh, uh, Philadelphia to train me how to, you know, do outreach to the public and communications. Uh, in this case, how to, you know, sell the books and, and tell people what's in them. And uh, so they took me to a seminar where I could meet with members of the media and talk to them about their shows and, and what's happening. And that's where I met you. And and was immediately uh, just impressed with the way you carry yourself and how professional you are. And, um, and I, I knew when I met you at that convention that, that you were someone I wanted to try and keep in touch with. And so right away to be able to click with you on Instagram and uh, Facebook right. and you know, see what you're up to and see the pictures of you traveling through New York City and just doing your day-to-day things and the, the history of your life. I, I just right away fell in love with your story and uh, all the positive things that you do every day. And, um, and uh, by the way, so that's I'm, us I'm right there. I don't know if they can catch that on the recording, but there's us. There's your title and there you are in the helicopter. So there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so just to be able to keep in touch with you on social media and find out what's happening in your life in the case of the corona lockdown to see your imagery of, you know, showing the streets of New York are empty and how crazy it is there and, and just to be able to follow along in your journey is, is something I always look forward to on social media. And as you know, when I post these, I don't sort of post them with a gloom and doom. I try and say, hey, we'll rebound from this. I think that's the only way to approach this kind of situation, right? Oh yeah, I I love your your upbeat, uh, hopeful uh, uh, attitude, and I also like how you question what's going on and whether or not we're doing the right things and stuff. Well, and that is the next big thing. I I just I've sort of believed that now we're kind of letting government become the parent, telling us what to do, and I'm very wary of letting that continue. 
yeah, I, I think everyone in America has a little bit of the, the hairs on the back of their neck stand up when they see that police and sheriffs and governors are preventing people from buying seeds, from planting gardens, from going to the beach. And, uh, and I think it's, it's, an, it's a legitimate question for people to ask if our government is telling us to go inside and stay inside a cool, dark, you know, space of our homes where viruses flourish right. versus going to the beach where the sunlight is known to kill the virus. Uh, I think people are rightly questioning, like, what a, wait a minute, how does, how do these restrictions have anything to do with improving our health? Right. And so it's, I don't like using this. I don't like even saying this, but it's true. I just feel like we're being hijacked right now because of the virus. It's very, very scary. Well, I, I can tell you, uh, I live in California. In California, 40 million healthy people have been locked down. Meanwhile, there's no evidence that taking away our civil rights while we are healthy and able to go to work, do our jobs, earn paychecks, feed our families, there's no evidence that that does anything to improve the health of the people in California. And, and the uh, world, if, actually. Yeah, if you saw in the news, our, our governor got into hot water because he's had the healthy population of California locked down for two months now, uh, and people are starving. And uh, he publicly expressed his outrage that people were trying to go to the beach in California. And uh, anyone who knows anything about the coronavirus knows that that's probably the healthiest thing you could do uh, because the virus doesn't survive in, in uh, sunlight and with heat. And uh, so he lashed out at the people of California and ordered the communities had decided to leave certain beaches open. And he ordered those communities to close their beach. And everyone knows that that is extremely fascist and suspect and does, does no one any good and has no bearing on the coronavirus. It's infringement uh, is what it and is. So, so he has announced with, <laughs> that the next week he's going to uh, have them reopen. Oh, yeah, I heard that. And, so I guess he thought uh, it would pressure them because I'd seen by Friday he's going to open different things up now. Yeah, so he, he all of a sudden completely reversed his position and said, oh, I'm opening the beaches. And, uh, and that's BS. What, what I know, I mean, anyone who watches what's going on can clearly see that he did a terrible thing to the people of California and they pushed back and he got pressured. I mean, I, I can just imagine the conversations, you know, with wealthy residents of the beach communities on the phone with his staff going, we will find someone to run against you mm. <laughs> in the next election. I agree with so that I, one. I'm sure, I'm sure that's probably why he suddenly changed his position and said he was going to let people go to the beach again. Okay, and, and to be clear, I don't exactly think New York City should go to the beach right now. We are the epicenter. But David, you've been here. You love the city. What kind of words of encouragement can you give us New Yorkers that are sort of under the same pattern here? Well, I, I mean, um, you know, being in a congested city like New York City is a very, uh, has a very specific set of problems. Um, I live on an acre. I live, you would consider this a city park where my house sits. Um, it's, I, 
around my house is nothing but open space and woods. So, so for me, the coronavirus epidemic is a very different experience from living in a congested city right. where you rely on subways and buses just to travel and get to and from work. Um, so, you know, uh, what, what I foresee is that absolutely we will rise above this. And I think, you know, forget the news, because I, I think the news has been trying to mislead people about the corona epidemic. I think people can see for themselves when their leaders are doing the right things to help them and when their leaders are doing the wrong things. And honestly, I, I think that over time, people are going to begin to look outside of the major cities uh, because of some of the things that have happened during the past two months. And, um, and I predict that uh, a large number of people are going to, in the next 10 years, are going to move away from the big cities and find a way to mm -hmm. live comfortably you know, in a more you know, spread out environment where, you know, like you could do your show from anywhere. I mean, it's right. great that you're in, in the media capital, but the reality is, is, is you could be anywhere and be on the internet and streaming to people. Right uh, now, you know, this is the exact, perfect example right now. Right. So I, I get you there. And, you know, your mayor in L.A. looked a little more insane than de Blasio at the beginning of this, saying, you know, gun businesses may be shut down. And if we don't, then I heard he's going to turn off the water and heat on it. It's getting crazy. But I think de Blasio has topped that by saying we have to enforce the cops. Like, I never like the word enforcement, especially in America. Right? We don't well, like here, that word. Well, here's the kicker. Where, where I live, we're not having the same experience that New Yorkers are having. So in California, more people are killed in car accidents than have died of coronavirus. Uh, and so I know, that, um, I know that our governor, our mayors, are going to be coming under more and more pressure as they literally starve the people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as I said on Facebook last week, um, do the police even realize that by locking up the healthy, hardworking taxpayers and preventing them from going to work, they're also preventing them from paying taxes and taxes pay for the police. Right. So I think anyone who can do simple math in their head knows that we're looking at a situation where the cities and counties and states that have locked down their population are not going to have even half of the revenue that they had last year to pay for police, firefighters, and everything else. Well, and I would say, because you've had experience with bad judges recently, if you don't, if you don't mind me saying that, you've been posting about that a lot, but now we're seeing judges like truly clamp down on people too, right? I mean, that, that effect is happening as well. We're seeing a lot of people in government uh, wield a really just, it's just a fascist power, you know, to, to tell people that when they're in Home Depot, they're not allowed to buy seeds uh, or home improvement products while telling them that they're not allowed to go to work and earn money is uh, insane. And, uh, any, any state, any city, any county that is being heavy-handed with the taxpayers is going to find themselves probably out of money uh, and very quickly. Probably in the next three months, you're going to see yep. a lot of 
major cities and states uh, either filing for bankruptcy or at the very least, you know, cutting their budgets mm. by 30 or 50% because they're simply not going to have pe people who live where I live in California have no ability to pay their property tax. You're, you're talking about the majority of workers in California haven't been allowed to go to work for two months. David, I've got so to forget their, forget their mortgages. There, there's no way they're going to be able to pay property tax bills. I want to turn the conversation to you as well because you're a tax-free citizen and you're a hard worker. A, have you been shooting still during this quarantine different aspects? Like, are you still taking videos and all that? And secondly, have you found any trouble with the cops um, trying to shoot different things? Well, yeah. Um, all of my TV shows have been locked down. Hmm. So um, when the uh, coronavirus hit, I was working on a TV show in Miami and the TV show lost all of their location filming permits. So we couldn't, we just literally couldn't go out and film because the local regulators wouldn't allow us to. Mm. And um, so my, my industry is shut down and I would say well over probably two thirds, maybe even three quarters uh, is my estimation. Two, Two-thirds to three-quarters of people who work in film and television are out of work right now. But how are you doing to keep busy? Are you still shooting things in your own area, like just for fun even, or for Instagram, Twitter? Are you still doing some videoing? I, I have a tremendous uh, amount of content that I put out on uh, social media. And so I've been showing behind-the-scenes clips from Survivor, from Monday Night Football, from The Deadliest Catch. And I actually gained uh, probably 200,000 followers uh, wow. since the epidemic began. I think because more people have time to, to watch, you know, and look at stuff on social media. Um, right. But so for me, I've, I've been uh, very busy, you know, sharing those uh, things uh, with the public and also working on my third book. Very cool. I want to preview that with, with us while I have you. What's that? Want to preview that third book while we have you and maybe give a summary of the other two that sure. you've written for people yeah, to so, take away. So what's going to happen is um, my first book, Help From Above, is about my my experience. Uh, my, my whole life really starts in my childhood and it ends, culminates uh, me flying in helicopters for the deadliest catch, for the World Series, for Super Bowl. Uh, this is Discovery Bird on the cover. That's the helicopter that uh, we hover uh, next to the crab boats during the deadliest catch. Um, my second book is the reason I'm writing books. It is a true crime story of corruption and organized mm -hmm. crime that I found at a school bus stop near where I live. And uh, I fought with them for five years to get the gangsters away from the children. And uh, in 2014, I found the body of one of the victims that they had murdered uh, hidden behind the school bus stop. And that story is in this book. Um, my third book will continue this story because the corruption was only starting when we found the kid murdered behind the school bus stop. And it uh, got worse from there. And so I named names in my true crime book. And what's interesting about this is none of the crimes in this book have been investigated by police. Weird. Yet they're these are, these are open in, cases. Yet they're locking in social distancers, right? So that's kind of how we are today. Well, it, it let's just say uh, I have 
uh, witnessed a lot of corruption in our government officials, including murder, including racketeering. Uh, and in my situation, it was at a school bus stop, which was very upsetting to me. Uh, and so one of, the, one of the only weapons that I had against them was to do what you do, which was to tell the truth. And, and so I put that story into the book it's called What Lies Above the Clouds. And uh, uh, my next book is called Hell to Pay. And I will tell more of the story of the gangsters at the school bus stop and the, um, the terrible crimes that we discovered as we uh, investigated on our own, you know, as private citizens. Hey, David, Alan Arnold, tell me and tell the listeners that this is not, uh, you know, woohoo, I wrote a book and I just want to get my story. This is very complicated. It has a lot of consequences and it sort of threatens your life, doesn't it, by naming all these names? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it just imagine uh, your favorite gangster movie, Goodfellas or uh, Godfather, and imagine, uh, you know, and in uh, Goodfellas, there's like a dry cleaner store where all the gangsters uh, hang mm -hmm. out and run their business. And imagine if the neighbor across the street uh, started protesting against them and photographing them and taking records of them. And uh, in my case, writing a book about them and naming them in the book. You know, that's exactly what has happened here. This is the first time an organized crime ring has ever been called out and named uh, in a book. And it's on Amazon. People can buy it and read it. So it's in the public record. And uh, it is, uh, I'm very honest about how questionable that is to do for your own safety. But I also feel that sometimes when you know something is wrong and it shouldn't be allowed, in this case, uh, a gangster business at a school bus stop, uh, we all have a choice to make. We can either choose to look the other way and, and leave the children in harm's way, or we can do what I did, which is to say, you know what? I don't care what happens next. Mm. I'm going to call this out because the public needs to know what is happening at a gathering place, a gathering place for small children. Well, you know, I'm going to title this show, you know, hoarding information. And what I, so I realized that I wanted to return a book back to my where I found it because it was so inspirational to me. I didn't want to hold on to it, so I gave it back to where I found it. Now it's like, well, if we have information, why do we hoard it? Why do we keep it to ourselves? And you're, I think, inspiring us not to keep it to ourselves anymore. Well, I, I'm definitely proving that even in the face of murderous corruption and organized crime, uh, where they are making over $100 million a year with an illegal business at the school bus stop, even with that level of murderous corruption, uh, you have a weapon. Uh, and it could be as simple as you taking your phone and filming and recording what's happening there and then putting it on YouTube. Uh, or in my case, writing a book about it and going out on social media and calling attention to it. Uh, we all have weapons now. I mean, that's, that's what the Me Too movement is. The Me Too movement is women who suffered in silence with no recourse for generations. They had no weapon against the rich and powerful. But in today's world, uh, they don't need a green light for their documentary. They can simply put the truth on YouTube. They can simply mm -hmm. put the truth on Facebook or Instagram. And um, so this is a very powerful time to be alive. And I can tell you from experience that the agents of corruption, uh, the agents of government, uh, 
who historically have gotten away with murder are not prepared for the new world that we live in. And you can see it every day. That's what the Me Too movement is. The Me Too movement is guys getting caught doing what they have always done and not realizing that in today's world, they can be uh, exposed. Very much so. And And I tell you what, we're going to pick that rest of that conversation up tomorrow. About 20 minutes left, but I want to respect the fact that Radio Hope, 9 a.m. Eastern, is up next. So tune over there. You'll hear the rest with David Allen Arnold tomorrow. Have a great day here on Spreaker. We'll talk to you soon.